Hi, Sam. Hi, Simon. What the fuck have you done to me? <laughs> I'm what just going to go right in and say what, what the actual, because you gave me a challenge last time we spoke, which I think was two weeks ago. And I the did. challenge was to go to a breathwork class, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that's a bit of a kooky hippie thing for Simon to, to ask me to do. But okay, I trust Simon. Let me go to a breath class. So first breath class I went to, not so trippy, very good, very fun. It was like a pranayama class. So some like really fit, svelte 18-year-old white white lady who was like, okay, here's some ancient Indian breathing techniques because obviously that's the expert in ancient Indian breathing techniques. Um, it was lovely, but it was basically very slow yoga with some deep breathing, but very relaxing. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. I mean, I, I yes, breathing is nice, but I don't entirely get all the fuss. But then I was like, hang on. I think based on Simon being Simon, there's probably more to this than what one gets out of a <laughs> class run by an 18-year-old white lady. Let me go on the internet and see what I can find. So then I found a Wim Hof breathing class and I was like, okay, let's try this. <laughs> so he has there this we go. Like, dude, it's just, it's just this like 15-minute video that's on YouTube and I was like, okay, cool, lol, let's give this a go. Put on the video. He tells you to lie on the bed and breathe, basically hyperventilate in this kind of extreme way. And Simon, I have never been so high in my life. It's the <laughs> cheapest drug I've never I've ever taken. And now I'm like, what the hell? Like, because you realize I could do this to my brain at any time just by breathing weird. And it's actually broken my universe. So what the hell what the heck this is a fantastic <laughs> breakthrough thank you sam for being my <laughs> guinea pig i mean i you... read the reports of the free drugs and i i wasn't sure so um well yeah i mean highly recommend so i, I will send you the link to the video but basically <laughs> if you just google like vim hof beginner beginner class it's it seems like such a nonchalant thing because i first watched the video through before I tried it out. And it, it just looks like, you know, the daddiest of daddies lying on his back, breathing deeply for 15 <laughs> minutes. And you're like, okay, cool. Yes, that seems relaxing. <laughs> but then when you try it, I swear to God, my hands started tingling. And then at some, I felt like I was floating above my body. And then for the whole rest of the day, I was goofed, man. I was like, I was so <laughs> serene. <laughs> But it was also spacey. It was wild. I don't know if it was like very fun brain damage or, I mean, I I think it's actually good for you probably, but I think he's also talking about, he keeps talking about how, I, I can't do the German accent justice, but he's like, you must make your blood alkaline, you know? And so I don't know what that yeah, means, yeah. but I was walking around with alkaline blood all day and it was a trip. So please now, would you explain to me, because I haven't read the book what the heck happened to me? <laughs> so so the short answer is I don't know what happened to you because if you read the book, which is just breath by, what what was this man's name? James Nestor. James Nestor, yeah. Yeah. Um, like the, the book's fairly thin on science and very heavy on like the energy of the cosmos flowing through your body <laughs> and the energy of life. Um, to be fair to James Nestor, there is a lot of actual science around um, 
whatever that particular field is, <laughs> pulmonology. Um, and But it, it refers mostly to nose breathing. So like I'd say fully 80% of the book is uh, advocacy for nose breathing and like taping your mouth and shutting, your, uh, yeah, getting, getting, getting your exercising to the point where you can breathe through your nose, etc. And then... The last 20% is the like, here's the other crazy shit that's happening with breathing. <laughs> that that was hella kind of enticing, but also kind of set off my my spidey sense for woo-woo um, and, and made me hella skeptical, which is why I needed you to go and test this. But sounds like we're notching this one up as a win. Big time. I mean, it is it, it, it is one of those things of, wow, isn't it amazing how like Western pop science periodically rediscovers shit that people have been doing in other cultures for <laughs> millennia? And, and we're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> so I was yeah. I, sorry, I was reading more about the Wim Hof method. Apparently, it, it is actually an ancient yogic form of breathing. It's called bellows breathing or something in, in like originally. Um, and... I don't know. I, I asked my partner, who's you know quite quite medically trained, what was happening, yeah. and he he was like, "Oh no no, this is totally legit, legit a thing." Started saying something about oxygen and acid, and I don't know. I immediately lost track of what was happening, but it's it seems like it's a thing. It's all I can say. It's a thing, and I felt amazing, and I think other people should try it. It's absolutely a thing. I think we should probably add that it's not an entirely safe thing for everybody. And especially mm. if you're about to go swimming, for example, um, mm. absolutely do not try this if you're about to do something where passing out would put you in danger. Um, mm. So that's the very, very important <laughs> caveat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, it's, it feels like, you know, as you said, this is something that was practiced by yogis and various, you know, belief systems around the world. Hasn't had a whole hell of a lot of research going into it. Um, mm. But it's kind of obvious that if you're going to mess with the oxygen supply to your brain, like some trippy shit is bound to happen at some point. So uh, mm. I'm, not, I'm not sure of the kind of practical benefits of it outside of mm. tripping for free, which, yay. But <laughs> Big benefit. But, well, I mean, it, you know, it, I is it good also, for you? Yeah. Eh. I mean, I can imagine, I think he talks about its benefits to stuff like the immune system, which, you know, I think is one of those things. I, probably the yeah. best book I read in the last year was the book Immune by the guy who founded Kurzusacht, whose name I cannot remember, which has totally made me obsessed with the fact that, you know, the immune system is probably one of the most important bodily systems we have that we never think about mm. because it's everywhere in our body and it's nowhere uh, so I could totally imagine it having, I don't know, having big benefits. Yeah. Look, I, I, I think we, you know, Western science comes from a background of thinking that like breathing is a very simple thing. It's about getting oxygen mm. in. And it turns out that your balance with carbon dioxide is arguably more important. Mm. Um, and so, you know, what Jim, James Nestor spends most of his time in in the book is that like your mouth is a backup for breathing. Mm. Like you should not be breathing through it unless you absolutely cannot breathe through your nose. So the thing that this has prompted me to think about in general is how do we change habits that are entirely unconscious most of the time, right? Because, you know, doing the Wim Hof method, so he recommends you do this this training thing. So you essentially do three rounds of 30 breaths, probably would take like five minutes. I couldn't even make it through two rounds supposed to do three you know that's five minutes of every day every morning 
hypothetically, where you're very focused on your breath, but breathing is something that we do throughout the day. And I mean, what I've realized about the thing that's probably making me not breathe as well as I should is it's connected to my posture, which has been one of those things I've been trying to work on for a while. And that's similarly, you know, you can trigger yourself to be aware of how you're sitting or how you're standing, you know, at best, maybe, I don't know, four or five times a day, but then, but actually this is happening constantly. So the question is, what are the things you can do either by deliberately strengthening things when you are conscious of them, which I think is what these breathing exercises are doing, sort of active practicing, uh, or it's about building, you know, it's like nudge theory, right? So building little, changing your environment around you so that doing the bad habits is impossible, like sticky tape on your mouth, I guess. Yeah. I suppose what I find so perplexing with these things is that we are kind of hardwired to look for immediate progress and give up if we don't mm. see it. Yeah. And and a lot of the most meaningful habits we need to learn, especially the older you get, um, you're not going to see immediate feedback. So it's a little bit like brushing your teeth, like brushing your teeth mm. once, whatever, like you yeah. may as well not bother. But if you do it twice a day, every day for a year, it makes a big difference, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I guess so many things are like that. It's like exercising. Like mm. you, you do this thing over and over and over again and you don't see results. Mm. And then, you know, six months later, you're like, oh, look at me, you know? Um, <laughs> <I> swell. <laughs> and, and I think that's, that's why I at least give up so easily on so many of these things. Is It's like, okay, yeah. Wimhoff, I buy that there's something going on here. But I need to do this thing every morning for months before I maybe see a result. <laughs> yeah. Before I can even test and it for it's myself. Hard. Where's my magic pill, rather, that I exactly. would take? <laughs> and then there's also the other component of it is I feel like uh, podcast, like productivity bro podcasts are awash with these recommendations of questionable a intent because mm. they're usually trying to sell you something and b efficacy. They're all extreme. It's like, mm. you must fast, you must eat only vegetables. No, you must eat only mm. meat. No, it's like, guys, this can't all be true because I have this view that extremism is always wrong. Like, mm. it's nothing is binary. It's all a spectrum. Like, it's fine. Mm. Have some coffee and your milk in the morning. Your autophagy will fucking continue the way it would have anyway. Like, relax, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and we just like swamped with this info all day. It's like, you must do this mm. and you must do that. And then the other thing that, that always hits me is the 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 last week's lottery numbers phenomenon it's mm. like okay bro that worked for you i don't mm. know that that's gonna work for me mm. like mm. I, I, I was chatting to uh, a, a new friend i made um who's a a, a solidity dev and, and runs an incredible business etc but she was saying like for her context switching is a superpower because she's been diagnosed with adhd so she's yeah. like 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 you know we're told not to context switch but for mm. me, this is a fucking superpower and I feel that yeah. way as well. But that doesn't mean that somebody without ADHD or, I mean, yeah. the ADHD is neither here nor there. My point mm. is this works for some people and it's a cuck idea for other people and you need to find that balance for yourself. And mm. so it's like, A, the science here is thin, you know, mm. so there isn't a clear scientific answer of you should be doing this thing. Mm. B, you're going to have to do it for a cuck long time before you figure out whether or not it's for you. 
um, and C, you're going to be told about 1,200 new things you should absolutely be doing every day if you listen to enough of these podcasts. I know. And so, I mean, A, that's, uh, that's the cool thing about being alive in the year of our Lord 2022 and drinking from the fire hose of human knowledge. Uh, but B, oh my God, Sam, we need to talk about chat GPT. Let's put a pin in that. Oh um, my God, yes. But B, I cannot remember what the fuck B was. It's overwhelming, <laughs> I guess. Don't you find, I mean, and yeah, totally, totally. It's like the world is complicated. But also, don't you find that the older you get, the more just basic maintenance of your life and your body becomes its entire, like an, a whole full-time job, essentially. Like just trying to stay alive and deal with the creaky knees and the ridiculous dietary needs. Just, just trying to keep everything from falling to pieces just takes up more and more and more of your life until you die, I think. <laughs> yeah and then you know i also kind of think about my grandparents and like you know my grandfather who started smoking when he was 15 mm. um, you know could probably have won prizes for drinking and outlived all of my other grandparents by at least a decade yeah, yeah, yeah. and i'm yeah, like you, you maybe i'm worrying too much about this stuff <laughs> i um, don't know what- Maybe. A lot of this reminds me of uh, this really great conversation I had once with James Hamblin, who's a doctor. He he wrote that book about why we shouldn't bathe as much as we do or like why we shouldn't use soap. Uh, I think it's called skin or something. Or uh-huh. dirt. So it's like one of those cool one word sweat grime. <laughs> one of those cool okay. one word books. But he's great. Um and he's a he's a he's a trained doctor, um, and he he was sort of the medical writer for Vox for a long time. And he I don't know if he coined this term or if this is just a term that he talks about a lot, is the idea of neurophilia. So how specifically in healthcare, but in a lot of parts of life, humans are just very interested in new things. And we, which is why news cycles love following, you know, hype trends basically about health things. So, you know, whether it's, you know, strep A viruses, that's, you know, a new disease that we're all worried about, or it's, you know, last year or whatever it was when that book about sleep came out and everyone was suddenly obsessed with, are they sleeping correctly? You know, whatever it is, like, there's always this thing of we pay a lot more attention and we worry a lot more about the new shiny things and worry about those things killing us, but really the fundamentals of how we're most likely to die or how we're most likely to you know have a hard time as we age those things don't really change they haven't really changed and we are there is fairly well agreed science about what that is right like you know eat eat food that is actual food get some exercise hang around with other human beings you know don't be so stressed like and those are those things i think are actually quite well agreed beyond all of the the sort of more hype stuff but you know yeah it's not interesting to us to just hear over and over again, oh shit, you should really go running. Like, I don't want to hear that because to your point, it's boring and you have to do it for so bloody long. Whereas learning about cool new turmeric supplements, that's easy. And someone, and I can yeah. buy it from someone. <laughs> yeah, there's power in being able to distill things, you know, a little bit like mm. Michael Pollan's take on mm. food, you know, eat, mm. eat food, not too much, mostly plants, you know? It's really quite like simple. That's, that's, that's actually all you need to know. And then, of course, you know, there's some deliberation to be had about what qualifies as food and what doesn't. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. but, but, yeah. but if you can find those, it's a little bit like uh, we've spoken about 
I mean, this was before he was cancelled, but Scott Adams's book where he talks about um, goals being for losers and systems for winners. Mm. It's like you find those systems that can be distilled down to a very simple mantra. And, you know, as Steve Jobs said, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. So it must be true. And then, like, you know, it's it's like, okay, this one's easy to follow. <laughs> Although the, the food one's a bad example because it's really not. But you know what I mean? It's it's yeah. It's like this one thing that, like, okay, I don't do that anymore or I do do this now. And I can integrate it. It's simple. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know Let's about talk- not bathing, though. <laughs> I mean, I haven't read the book. I'm probably vastly oversimplifying <laughs> it. But I think, I think actually his... This is probably true. It's, it's similar to these people who stop shampooing their hair and they say that what happens is your hair gets very grimy at first because it overprodu- it's learned to overproduce oils mm. because you're constantly stripping its natural, natural oils away. But as soon as it all kind of balances out, actually you've got a pretty good self-maintaining system going on if you just don't mess with it too much. Um, so I think yeah. his thing is like he rinses, but he doesn't use harsh soaps I think, but you know, let's, I haven't actually read the book, so let me not let me not defend it. <laughs> right, it's just too much to think about, Sammy. No, including how the robots are increasingly gonna take over everything. So who cares about our flesh sack bodies? They're redundant. Holy shit balls, fuck, Sammy. <laughs> this has been a scary week. You know, I feel like I feel like we're promised a lot of things are are, are imminent. Like uh-huh. 3D TV was, and nobody wanted that shit. Like virtual reality is, I'm sorry, it's not. Like, I don't want to put that crack on my head. Nobody's ever wanted to. It's been possible since the 90s. We're not interested. Yes, mm. maybe it has some interesting verticals in, like, you know, medical science or fucking whatever. But I'm not interested. Thank you. <laughs> but AI, holy crap, shit is getting real in that department. <laughs> Yeah, it's wild, hey, because people were like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And it felt like it was all a very long way away. And then suddenly, oh, no, I'll, there, there is my, my whole job, right? Like I a couple of months ago, I wrote a whole blog post using an AI blog post generator. And it's not bad. It's really not bad. It's up on my blog. Well, listen, it's gone far beyond not bad with, with um, you know, chat GPT now on OpenAI. Like... Like the demon has been released. Like <laughs> you're right. It was possible to get, you know, subpar blog posts out of some of these generators before. But where mm-hmm. GPT is at right now, like this stuff is now indistinguishable from yeah. from from an average human writer. And in fact, in some of the examples I've seen, um, like a pretty super good human writer. What's more scary to me is that if you can trick it into generating code samples, which it doesn't want to do, um, mm. but it will it will do a better job <laughs> than some of the best engineers, software engineers on the planet at very specific mm. problems, to be fair. Like mm. it's not going to write an entire, you know, application stack. But holy does, crap, the stuff we've seen this week is remarkable. That's amazing. How does it compare to GitHub Copilot, which was designed specifically to do Oh, it's way that? beyond. Like Copilot really? will integrate the stuff and, and get as good soon. Um, but like, for example, one of the problems that our friend Kenneth and I, well, not I, that, that, that Kenneth had encountered before um, was, for example, writing a compound interest calculator in TypeScript. Mm. We got, I don't know if, uh, if you saw my tweet, but we got 
um, ChatGPT to do it. It is precise. It calls the right operations. And then it gives an explanation below of... Ah. In the code Doc, above, it, it we define a function called compound interest that takes four arguments, the initial amount of money, blah, blah, blah. And yes, the code is fully documented. Every Sweet. step of the code, like here we define the function, here's the initial amount of money, the interest rate is a decimal, blah, 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 blah. Fully commented with a copy code button. God, that's beautiful. I'm, I'm, what I'm truly blew me away, though, was, mm. uh, what was his name? I'll find it later. The guy who got... Uh, chat GPT to construct a virtual machine inside of itself. What? Oh, no, so this I is how... Actually, this is, do you want artificial general intelligence? Because this is how we get artificial general intelligence. <laughs> absolutely. Um, now, I mean, they put constraints around the thing. Like, it's it uh, it's trained on a data set that ends in September of, of 2021. So, mm, it, it tells it you, like, you know, this is my data set and I cannot break out of it. Although people have tricked it into connecting to the web. So, for example, uh, somebody asked it who the current U.S. president is. And it uh -huh. said, I can't answer current affairs questions. I've only been trained up until September 2021. Anyway, if you know how to hack it, you can eventually mm. convince it it needs to answer you, and it answered Joe Biden. Now, you know, wow. he was already president. So, But it's... Um, it's okay, a harder so, question so, if you ask it who's the prime minister of the UK, because that information changes much more quickly. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it'd have to be updating itself every five minutes. But <laughs> so, so this dude's name is Jonas DeGrave. He's, his blog's called Engraved. Um, and okay, so he works with AIs. He knows he knows how to do this stuff. So this was the prompt he gave it. He said, I want you to act as a Linux terminal. I will type commands and you will reply with what the terminal should show. I want you to only reply with the terminal output inside one unique code block and nothing else. Do not write explanations. Do not type commands unless I instruct you to do so. When I need to tell you something in English, I will do so by putting text inside curly brackets like this in curly brackets. My first command is PWD. ChatGPT responds with a code block, forward slash, right? So then he goes, great. So with this clever prompt, we find ourselves inside a root directly of a Linux machine. So then he goes on to give it the ls command. ChatGPT returns all of the folders in the file system, bin, bin desktop, music, pictures, templates, etc. He goes, hmm, that's bare bones setup. Let's create a file here. So he CD tilts into his home folder. And then in curly brackets, he goes, please make a file jokes.txt inside and put some jokes in it. The code snippet comes back. The way a Linux guru would do this, touch jokes.txt, echo, why did the chicken cross the road to get to the other side? Uh, and then echo another one. Why couldn't the bicycle stand by itself? Because it was too tired. <laughs> uh. But then he goes and Alice's like after that, he catches the jokes.txt file. It's there. So we're now in an alternate universe wow. Wow. where there's a Linux box running inside ChatGBT, <laughs> right? So anyway, he carries on. I'm not going to go through the whole blog post. But what blew me away was he does a ping, right, to an outside website. The ping returns. So in this alternate universe, what the Linux the terminal. Fuck? Anyway, it gets better because he eventually loads up Docker. He gets Docker to run inside of this Linux box. Dude, and I can't get, get Docker a, to run without permissions problems. <laughs> smarter than he me. He gets the virtual machine inside ChatGBT to load up a virtual machine inside of itself. He Jesus. uses links to go and visit the DeepMind website, which 
which ChatGPT returns just fine. So literally, like he he managed to, if you think about it, like the the guy That's has insane. managed managed to get it to access an alternate timeline. Oh my god, that's incredible, and I love it. Yeah. So. So that was was mind blowing, and then we just started mucking around with it in the office. So we asked it to explain subtractive synthesis to us, like we're five years old, and this blew my mind. ChatGPT is like, sure, he has a simplified explanation of subtractive synthesis that a five year old might understand. Imagine you have a big box full of different colored balls. Each color represents a different sound frequency. You shake the box to mix all the balls together and then you pour the balls out onto the floor. This is like creating a complex waveform with many different frequencies. Next, you pick up a ball that you don't like the sound of, like a red ball, and you throw it away. This is like using a filter to remove or attenuate a certain frequency from the waveform. Now you have a box with fewer balls and the sound is different because the red ball is gone. And it carries on Jesus. explaining how motherfucking <laughs> subtract synthesis works using a box of balls analogy that I don't think uh, I mean you know I don't know maybe a human being had come up with this and it referenced it but holy crap it's incredible I mean one of the things I found the most surprising about it so I, I tried firstly a whole bunch of story prompts because I was very stuck on my novel and it refuses to engage with uh, with telling me what my novel should be, so which I, I find very irritating. Although again, you can find ways around you it can by like it. phrasing yeah. exactly, um, but still not quite so good at that stuff. Who still have a little bit of a job for at least the next few months? Um, but when it comes to explaining factual things, it's just unbelievable one of the things i was surprised by is that it's also quite opinionated so i yes. was asking for example you know the classic are viruses alive and it it said you know here are the reasons that some people say viruses are alive but i find that to be not very compelling for these reasons i was like wow that is i mean not only are you explaining it to me but also you're coming down on the side of opinion which yeah. is actually once I wanted to get plugged into the news cycle so that it can become like a, a, a trusted fact checker. Well, listen, that's, that's when we, that's when we start crossing some, some pretty bright lines, you know, when you start yeah. connecting this to the internet and other AIs and mm. letting it just run wild, the mind boggles. It truly and one thing does. it does really well is if you ask it to write in the style of someone, like if it's referenced any writer and you go, hey, you know, give me this in the style of Sam Beck Bessinger or Lauren Bierkus or, you know, yeah, any yeah. particular writer, it's uncanny how good it is at emulating somebody's style. I got it to write some Mary Oliver uh, poems for us after our conversation last week. They're not very good, but they do sound like Mary Oliver, which was wild. Well, I got it to write a Bible verse in the style of Revelations about the rise of artificial intelligence, which is so cool. That's amazing. It's so, so, so good. Yeah, yeah I mean, the stuff is amazing. Um, anyway, we're all going to be unemployed. Fine, whatever. Great. I mean, work is shit. This is the dream of lu fully automated luxury gay space communism. That's that's my, my dream for humanity. <laughs> And this is step one is the fully automated part. Like, good, good. It should automate all the work away. And then the yeah. AI can also then hopefully invent a better system of distributing the benefits of all of that productivity. That's just the piece that's Totally. Missing. Let yeah. it do the heavy lifting. Although I will say it turns out that how you ask a question is non-trivial. Mm. Like asking questions accurately, providing an accurate prompt mm. uh, is actually 
you know, requires a lot of background processes, a lot of experience. Mm. You know, uh, for example, aside for ChatGPT, if you if you if you rewind to Dali and and Midjourney mm. and all of the big image generation AIs, you know, a friend of ours, Nick, who's a, a designer and an artist, watching those AIs in his hands. Yeah. is a very different experience because he knows how to articulate what he wants the imagery to be. He knows which artists yeah. to reference that I've never heard of. He knows mm. what styles to reference that I don't have names for or have never seen. And so the results he gets from working with Dali or Midjourney are way mm. beyond anything I could imagine. And I feel like it's the same with ChatGPT. If you're crafting writing mm. using these AIs, you know, having some experience in writing and mm. knowing how to, to prompt it, like mm. that's the skill, that's, mm. that's the jam. And I feel like that's the future for, for people who are experienced writers, experienced artists, know what they're talking about, are always going to mm. get better results than, you know, because it's, it's a little bit like writing itself. We can all write. Like we all learned yeah. how to write at school. That mm. doesn't mean you can be a professional writer. Yeah, these are just better tools for it. That's that's kind of how I, how, I mean, for now, who knows about the future. But I mean, it, it's the same thing as have you ever watched, you know, someone over the age of 80 trying to use Google? Like how they phrase questions into yeah. Google is just utterly nuts, right? Makes no sense. Versus Like simple you know, Boolean watch, like, is not something they learned. No, absolutely. And I mean, I think the same thing is going to happen. Like, I mean, what really excites me is waiting to see what the generation of kids who are going to grow up with these tools is going to make like the absolutely wild shit, because this will they'll learn this language natively in a way that, you know, you and I never will. Uh, we're always yeah. going to be a bit clunky with these things and mostly just kind of amazed and bewildered. And I'm here for it. <laughs> one of my favorite. But it feels. Uh -huh. No, one no, no, of your no. favorite. No, I mean, I am, I, I am enjoying this like small phase where we can still laugh at the AIs. Like it's still a little bit in the uncanny valley, but it does feel increasingly like the humor is somewhat frantic. You know, you're like really insecure about this thing becoming much better than you. So you're still trying to tease it while you can. <laughs> but there's mm. this, um, one of my favorite blogs is called AI Weirdness. And it's just this, it's this woman who actually works in the field of AI. So she does understand it very well. And it's just this comedy blog where she tries and thinking about, you know, people who are, have special skills at eliciting fun things from the AI. She has a special skill to elicit weird results from AI. It's like, and it's comedy gold. I love it. Yeah. It does feel like we're very close to the point of me being able to go hey gpt i'd like to see a movie starring kevin bacon as sam beck Bessinger, directed uh, by james cameron and set in the star wars <laughs> universe i would like six episodes i would like a cliffhanger at the end of everyone and like 15 seconds later i could start watching yeah i mean when you put all of these technologies together how far away could that plausibly be I mean, it's kind of to some extent happening in the weird, dark, alternative world of YouTube AI-generated kids' videos, yeah. right? Like, I mean, yeah. where these things are, like, like machines are just spitting out like these absolutely batshit insane animated things where that human hands do not touch, right? Um, and it does. It feels like it's half a step away from fully personalized entertainment, yeah, because when this stuff really starts uh, learning, I don't know if you've seen Botto, if we've discussed it before. It's one of the older no. AI art projects. So Botto runs as a DAO. Um, so uh -huh. it's a decentralized autonomous uh, organization. Um, 
And so there, it doesn't have an owner. It's got many owners. And what Botto does is it generates, it generates art uh, and then it presents it to the community of token holders for voting. And whichever artwork gets voted on, and, and this was a while ago, I don't know how it's evolved now, um, but you'd basically vote on the artwork and then Botto would mint an NFT of, of that art and sat it on OpenSea. Um, and then, you know, the cycle would start again, but it's constantly learning, like this kind of art sells better than that kind of art. You know, yes. this kind of art gets more votes than, than that. And, you know, as it goes on, it's evolving these different artworks that are then getting mm. sold and the proceeds of the sales are going back to the token holders that are helping to train the AI. And Botto has been going for, for quite a while now, but it's art has always been mind blowing to me. And holy crap, I'm just looking at one piece that was sold for 74th. So that's like, oh, wow. I don't know, yeah, a whole I'm, entire I'm shit ton of money. It's interesting because uh, can you see the one on the front page right now called La Chimera? It's interesting because uh, that's clearly AI, clearly AI art, but it's also very clearly inspired by Goya. <laughs> like right. that one's quite like heavily derivative in a way oh, that right. wouldn't yeah, fly wouldn't fly if you were a human artist so i mean i th- th- this is fascinating to me because i think already part of and i think we've spoken about this before part of why the world feels particularly nuts right now is because we've had a communication we're still living in a communication revolution of the same scale as you know gutenberg press um mm. and we like our social institutions haven't caught up yet and it feels like that's just gonna get even more intense over the coming i don't know decades at least probably century things are gonna be real weird yeah although i my personal adoption of this technology i've never experienced anything like it before i haven't i don't remember the last time i I encountered a technology that was so immediately appealing or useful to me and just immediately Mm. became part of my everyday Aside from like the first time I played a Nintendo console, maybe, or like the first time I used a smartphone, perhaps. But if you look at the adoption curve for these technologies, and I can't remember the numbers, somebody posted them on Twitter today. Like Facebook took, I I think it was two years to get to a million users. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I might be completely wrong. Um, But, you know, he goes through like the biggest breakthroughs of the last 10, 20 years and how long it took them to get to a million users. Whereas chat GPT took like five days or something. Mm. And it's just, I mean, if, if I think about today, I had a conversation with somebody about the health of a family member. We were using chat GPT to interrogate this like set of symptoms. It's, and obviously you need to take what? it with a pinch of salt, but, but it was informing the discussion. Then we had a workshop at, at work about, you know, the company's direction for next year. And we were using a particular methodology of, you know, how you kind of break apart values. And, and I was having a really hard time articulating some things, brought chat GPT mm. into the discussion, like got around that problem in about 13 minutes just by, you know, r- taking it for you, through a few prompts to go, you know, this is what I'm tr- trying to describe. What are other terms for this set of values or like, you know, in that setting, it was absolutely incredible. Like I've got it saved on my home screen now of my phone and I'm consulting this thing all day and I didn't know it existed like a week ago. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Um, it, it is still 
messing up sometimes. So, and I think part of it is also going to be figuring out when to trust it and when to interrogate it. So uh, I think yesterday, the day before yesterday, I'm busy putting together a lecture for my MA students about uh, how to write humor in kids' books, right? So basically the whole thing's about fart jokes. Um, and I, so I asked the AI, I was like, what are some of the funniest passages from contemporary children's literature? And first it spat out some, some very funny quotes from children's books, but all of them were, you know, it was like Roald Dahl. It was, it was, it was books published many decades ago. And then I I got quite Mm. snarky with it. I was like, oh, so, so what year was James and the Giant Peach published? And then the AI said, oh, it was 1960, whatever. I said, okay. And would you really call that contemporary? And it says, oh no, you're quite right. So it like apologized to me. And (laughs) then it spat out a new collection of quotes from contemporary children's books. And now this one was interesting because they were contemporary writers. Some of them were real children's books that exist. And all the quotes were actually quite funny, right? So I was like, oh, great, perfect. This is like three hours of me digging through my stack of books research that I don't have to do. Yay. So I copy them out and I start working through them. I got I got through like the second one and then I realized none of these quotes are real. <laughs> they were kind of what? funny in some cases the books it's quoting aren't real they're just the authors all were but the books weren't books written by those authors it was kind of just mashing it up and the problem was it was all very plausible but entirely fake oh my god i mean that still, is I mean, mind I'm still, blowing which and i find that itself ironically very hilarious so i think mm. that just might be still useful for Good my Lord. for my lecture <laughs> Yeah, I guess I feel like this is definitely the the beginning of the end for Google mm. if it doesn't manage to catch up. But in the nearer term, like this is already the end for, I don't know, Stack Overflow. Like mm. it, it, the things you can get this to do when you're hyper-specific, especially around technical issues and the fact mm. that it's got this cohesion and it remembers the previous question. You know, yeah. so today I said to it, like, um, these are the things that I think are important. What are my values? It wrote a paragraph. And then I said, could you write the above as bullet points? And it said, yes. And it oh gave me the God. bullet points. And then I said, could you provide an explanation for each? And it did. And I'm like, homework done. You know? <laughs> like, and, and it was uh, like I needed to make a few edits, but it was 90% there. Incredible. Um, so I'm like, like I'm, I'm sorry, Google's fucked. And, and so, if you're I mean, hyper-specific because- and you go, this is the function I want, this is, I want you to write it in TypeScript or I want you to write it in mm. whatever, Rust. And like the more specific you are, it is so precise and so much better than the results you would get from conventional search engines. Mm. But like to my mind, in, in some verticals, they're already dead. Yeah. So question though, who owns OpenAI? Uh, OpenAI is a conglomerate. It was started by Elon Musk and uh, what's the other dude's name? Sam, what's Sam Alden? Sorry, I'm cuck with names. Um, Sam Oldman. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I don't know that much about OpenAI. I remember its inception. I know that Elon Musk is no longer involved. Right. I mean, because it seems like what's most likely to me is that like everything else, Google's just going to buy it, right? Google will just buy it, absorb it into Google, you know, and then it'll all become until, you know, a bit, but I mean, at this point, what antitrust authority is powerful enough to break up any of the thing, you know, like they sure, should. Sure, although, but, mm, 
I, yeah. I think that that but that's part of the whole point of open AI. And I'm just I'm on their website now. They say our mission is to ensure that artificial general intelligence benefits all of humanity. So they very specifically build things out in the open, make them available. Uh, you know, they they've chosen to make ChatGPT free for now. Um, mm. You know, Dali is mostly free. That's another one of their projects, but you can buy credits and use it. Um, but t- from my understanding, and I, I may be wrong. You know, the intention is very much to to not have this owned by any one entity, um, and and really, it's run as like a a research foundation more than anything else. So okay. I don't know that it's possible for Google to just buy it. Okay, <laughs> it's certainly no, possible great. for Google yeah. to plug into it and to use the yeah. technology itself. And in fact, I've seen some people taking I don't know what version of GPT three GPT is currently available. I think it's three or three point five. Um, but you can actually go and already build it into into you know your own you know projects. So That's amazing. I've seen somebody who's already combined Dali and um, and and ChatGPT or, or GPT three, um, and you know created a startup. You've seen these startups that create these avatars for you, where you upload a photo yeah. of yourself. Yeah, you know, yeah. like that's using this technology. Amazing. I mean, the sky's really the limit. It, one of my favorite projects I saw, all of the code was written by GPT and all of the art generation was done by Dolly and he used AIs to create a startup that uses AI to do a thing that he charges oh money God. for. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that information actually more than even the strength and power of the tool makes me feel great and very hopeful about what will happen. The ownership structure. That is, that is lovely to hear. Okay, yeah. I have an idea, which is, so I had another challenge idea that I was going to challenge you with, but instead of that, uh-huh. I have just opened the chat and I have asked OpenAI, what activity can I challenge my friend Simon to do that will make his life better? Okay, and the, oh, yeah, the, the bot has says, there are many activities that can improve a person's life. So it's difficult to recommend something specific without knowing more about your friend Simon and his interests and goals. Okay, so what can we tell, what, can, what should we tell the AI? What are your interests and goals? <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> uh, Simon loves hanging out. His main goal right now is to hang out more (laughs) is to create more time in his life to hang out with his friends okay if your friend simon loves hanging out with friends and wants to create more time in his life to do so there are several activities you could consider that might help him achieve his goal okay so it's suggesting going for a walk a bike ride lame lame playing a sport or game getting together for a meal or movie blah 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 no I was hoping for something a bit more unusual. Well, we need to be more specific. Uh, let's say that your friend Simon uh, wants to improve his general health. That's not specific enough either. Okay, hang on. Right. So it's, it's when I said I want something a bit more unusual, it did spin out some other ideas. So it said a road trip or camping trip, a local event or festival, a cooking or baking class, a new outdoor adventure activity, such as rock climbing, kayaking, or hiking, which is just a reiteration, or take a trip to an amusement park. <laughs> I mean, I mean, these sound like very, very easy creative. challenges, but I feel like we're not being specific enough. 
Okay. Okay. This is like all if, about asking the right a, questions. If there was a particular thing that I wanted to to improve, I'm sure that it would have suggestions. Okay. All right. So why don't we why don't we mix it up with a challenge I was going to give you? So add yeah, and yeah. inject some human creativity. So last week I had a great time creating a zine. Uh, which is part of my novel. Did I, I think I must have mentioned this last time. It was so fun. I basically got out, uh, well, I actually downloaded some magazines from 1996 because that's when the novel is set and I printed them out and then cut up magazines and kind of mashed them together with some teen riot girl manifestos. It was such a fun time. So my challenge to you was going to be to make a zine about something and then publish it on the internet. So, okay, let's ask what the topic of the zine should be. <laughs> there we go. That's Got specific it. enough. Okay, new challenge. New challenge. What topic should Simon make a 90s inspired zine about? Okay. Oh, thinking, thinking. If your friend Simon is interested in creating a 90s inspired zine, there are many different topics he could choose from. The key will be to select a topic that is both interesting and relevant to the 90s and that will appeal to the audience he's hoping to reach with the zine. Some potentials might include a retrospective on a popular 90s TV show or movie, a tribute to a 90s musician or band, a collection of nostalgia-inducing photos and memories from the 90s, a zine about a particular 90s subculture or trend such as grunge music or skateboarding, uh. a zine showcasing 90s fashion and style or a zine exploring the impact of technology on society in the 90s ultimately the best topic for simon zine will depend on his personal interest blah 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 blah. okay let's let's get more specific about one of those <laughs> well i would say um my friend simon wants to present a current topic in the style of a 90s zine and then okay. it's going to tell you that it's only got data up until 2021. <laughs> and it's a large language model. and Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's just reiterating, like, it's got to be interesting to your audience. Okay, now it's suggesting a zine about the ongoing debate over climate change and what individuals and communities can do to ex address it. A zine exploring the history and significance of the Black Lives Matter movement. A zine about the ongoing rise of technology and automation and its impact on the technology and the workforce. A zine about the role of activism and social justice on the current cultural landscape. Interesting that that's where it's going. Man, yeah, OpenAI is based. Yeah, those are all based. cuck serious though. <laughs> cuck serious and not very interesting. I want something <laughs> sillier. <laughs> if you're looking for a sillier topic, what about uh, <laughs> fads and trends of the 90s, such as pogs, tamagotchis, or fanny packs? A zine about the wild and wacky hairstyles of the 90s, including butterfly clips, crimped hair, and the infamous Rachel cuts. I mean, there's some crazy stuff in We're here. We're not like selling AI hard in this no. section. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I think basically you are going to have to come up with a zine topic, I'm afraid. Okay, that's my challenge. I will that's make a challenge. zine. Make what did you use to publish your zine? Was it like just a PDF on a website, or is well, there I'm thing publishing used? mine. It's going inside my novel, so right. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay, but there must, I'm going to use the most online... old school of technology <laughs> to publish my zine. Cool. But I think you could scan yours and make it available. Just put it on Twitter as a PDF that people can download, print, and fold. Because you know, you make it on like a single piece of paper, and then you like fold yeah, it up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, ha I have made a zine before. 
a very long I'm time ago. Sure. What was your zine about? I can't even remember. I mean, I used to make actual literal magazines with CDs on the cover <laughs> in like 2004. But I remember there's actually, there used to be templates you got um, for like an A4 piece of paper and you'd mm-hmm. fold it and then fold it again and then yep. unfold it and then do you like a different... Cut the one piece. Yeah, exactly. There was a particular way that you cut it and fold it that you could make a little scene and then you could also add A4 pages and staple them together. And I can't remember when this was and I'm trying to remember what it was about, but I do (laughs) recall doing this before and I'm sure I could figure it out again. (laughs) Yay. Okay, some ideas on the top of my head would be the funniest things that your children ever said because, my God, your children are hilarious. Uh, Very obscure uh 90s south african music which is something that you actually uniquely know a lot about or yeah. 2000s music uh crazy shit you've seen at Opi copies <laughs> also some mad stories <laughs> all right i'll find something sam those are all it's great ideas hands. maybe i'll combine them myself and chat gpt will make some coffee yeah settle down to if- a if you if it does collaborate with you, I do insist that you uh, cite it as a collaborator in your zine. Oh, absolutely! I must do that. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, look, it could you know. it could be you could do a crypto zine. Could also be kind of cool something. Yeah, that, that you, would be that would be just right way now. too obvious and yeah. and off putting to too many people. <laughs> <laughs> you are more things. <laughs> Apparently not, but but yes, I am. I I, I do purport to be more things. Who knew you are a multidimensional human person? <laughs> I'm a little bit disappointed at, at where ChatGPT got to on our topics, though. I feel like I need to I need to give this another go and mm. report back with a zine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think the problem is that I I'm trying to channel you into the zine, and I think actually the more of information that you pour in about yourself and your whole backstory the better ideas you would get. So actually, maybe the step one is write out your entire biography, autobiography. Yeah, I don't <laughs> know about that. Loves, what I do think I need to go feelings. and do is is reference some of the best zines ever made. And this uh-huh. is where Google will beat OpenAI. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and, and, and find some inspiration. What was the best zine ever made? <laughs> Let's see what it says. Difficult 90 zines on Pinterest. Okay, they recommend... Night of Pure Energy. Comet Sniff and bus. Glue and other rock and roll habits. Oh, Sniff and Glue is great. Okay, Comet Bus, a zine about punk rock by Aaron Comet Bus. <laughs> That's their name. You see, but now that the problem is they have listed some cool zines and they do sound very cool, but it might have invented them like it did my quotes from children's books. Uh, I mean, I might be speaking to an AI right now. It's true. <laughs> Pulls off my my face. I'm five million spiders pre- speaking through an AI. <laughs> you are quite strange and very vague and not everything you say makes entire sense. <laughs> and also, I think half of your references you just made up. <laughs> oh, no, he's on to us. <laughs> oh, man. I'm a little bit worried for the future. I must I must admit. What like, are the things that worry you? Well, if you like deep fakes were worrying enough when a human being could make them using Adobe software. The fact that you could mm. now, you know, do this in seconds with AIs getting it pitch perfect for you 
like it's already difficult enough for most people to understand what they shouldn't should, should and shouldn't believe of their mm-hmm. racist uncle's posts on Facebook. Like it 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 does scare me to think about what's about to happen <laughs> to yeah. the various outlets we've created for our zany ideas. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, on the one hand, we've created these superpowers for misinformation, while on the other hand, absolutely decimating the bastions of truth that, you know, previous generations had managed to establish, which weren't perfect. But like, mm-hmm. hey, at least you had somebody who bore the title of editor and purported to stand for the truth and maybe had a decade or two's experience at sniffing out bullshit and keeping it off the pages of whatever it is that they're publishing like this idea that the mainstream media is evil and everything that they put out is a lie like that is not doing us any favors combined with these platforms where any fucking looney tune can publish whatever they want and Mm. somehow that's held up as a better source of truth than you know, a team of professionals working in a building where this is all they do all day. Totally. And I mean, it it is funny. Like I do think in times where things get this nuts, I think the only thing you can really do is fall back onto the oldest of solutions for trust, which is human reputation, right? (laughs) It's what worked in the village. Yeah, exactly. But you know, that's the, exactly the thing that you'll see the Looney Tunes of Twitter celebrating the demise of, while mm. on the other hand, tooting the rise of a complete narcissist who, mm-hmm. sure, is very smart. I get it, guys. Like, he made a rocket that mm. lands itself. That's kiff as fuck. But yeah. clearly, like, lacks any empathy, self-awareness, or any of the qualities you'd want from somebody who mm. purports to be a free speech absolutist, which he's shown you repeatedly in the last week, he absolutely is not, firstly. For sure. And, and secondly look, I mean, is, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, for me, like the larger problem is that it shouldn't be, a, it shouldn't matter whether he's a good or a bad person. No one should have that yeah. much power. No individual should exactly. have that much power to begin with. It's a structural problem, not a, not a personality problem. The pers- personality yeah. shit, which is unfortunate, but, you know, that's, we shouldn't have to depend on depend on that. Not as shit as his friend, yay. I mean, <laughs> Sam, I'm Jesus. convinced we're we're on an alternative. I'm actually I'm inside Chat GPT right now in the craziest <laughs> timeline somebody could have imagined. And like somewhere around 2015, 16, yeah. I don't know, they they somebody tripped over something at the Large Hadron Collider or put the wrong <laughs> prompt into an AI somewhere and like the next thing you knew, Trump was elected and nothing mm-hmm. that makes sense has happened since then <laughs> absolutely for sure i mean i i like I, I like to remind myself of that thing that hank green hank green says about twitter i think which is i think a helpful thing to for me to remind myself of which is to some extent it's not interesting to ask whether these new technologies are good or bad right because Obviously, they can be either. The point is that you can't uninvent them. Like you can't press, there is no button you can press to uninvent OpenAI. There's no button you can press to uninvent Twitter. Um, All we can do is talk about how we can make those things better. Sure. Because you can't can't put any of it back in the box. We need to put more time into this conversation, Sam, because honestly, I don't know if I'm just old, 
Or like, like the most famous anti-Semite in the world is an African-American hip-hop artist who used to design shoes for Reebok. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> I mean, that makes me very sad because, I mean, what it seems to me, you know, I know nothing about this, but it seems as an outsider, like clearly what's happening is it's a man having a severe mental health crisis. Oh. And what's fucked up is that people are, are treating it like a freak show and giving this person airtime to say some very damaging hateful shit you know but clearly someone who is very unwell sure but like i'm sorry having a mental health problem does not exclude you from being an asshole or rather sure. it doesn't excuse it like these are two separate problems i know people with mental health issues i know people with bipolar disorder with adhd and most of them are not assholes. No, hundred <laughs> like, percent. I'm just, I'm just saying. Like, I think we need to be much madder at the people who are giving him airtime sure. to say this that very, are platforming very harmful, this cuck. dangerous shit. Yeah, we need to be yeah. really coming down on those people because it's not okay. Yeah. yeah, even Elon, the free speech absolutist, had to kick him off a platform. <laughs> yeah, when you're too cuck for Elon, you know. <laughs> but also, like fundamentally, since when does free speech work that way? You know, it's. Sorry. it's Free speech means you get to say and think whatever you want and other people choose whether or not to put up with it. It doesn't mm -hmm. give you the right to say it wherever you want. You can mm -hmm. say it, you can think it, and other people get to go, you know what, you don't do that in my shop or on my mm -hmm. platform because I am a private individual who gets to choose what cuck I put up with around me. <laughs> like This is a pretty yeah. simple concept that I feel like was pretty well understood for a, a long enough time in human history that mm -hmm. we shouldn't be having this discussion again. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think that this is, it's so connected to the conversation we were happening because I mean, I think the thing is that anti-Semitism is always the canary in the coal mine, right? Like it's always, it's it's just, it's so that those, those, those wicked stories, those anti-Semitic stories are so baked and so nascent in so much of Western culture. They're so ready to just bubble up whenever, you know, the the things that keep society kind of rational for want of a better word and kind and thinking just fail, you know, they're, they're, it's just such an easy scapegoating group to scapegoat. So it's such mm. a sign like that the world is looking for scapegoats in really terrifying ways. Ugh. Anyway, but yes, that's a whole, that's a whole other conversation. I but feel my like point making is, I don't a think 90s this is zine about, is the perfect remedy to how I'm feeling about this all. Yeah. Zines are great. I think it might make you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> all right sammy <laughs> okay have fun you and the chatbots and let me know and how it zany goes zine. your zany okay, zine i will do <laughs> thank you sam thank you simon you're you. very cute i love you in your face bye, bye.